take a pew Bible uh, or your own Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 and we're going to read together verses 20 through 23. I invite you to stand with me to read this together. Matthew chapter 1 verses 20 to 23. Let's stand together and read this in unison. Matthew chapter uh, 1 and uh, we'll pick it up in verse 20 and read through verse 23. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Thank you. Let's pray, and then I'll allow you to be seated. Thank you, Father, for gathering us today, and as we come to this message this morning, uh, we want to look at Joseph. We don't want to just see him as a, as a bit character in a, in a mythological story. We want to understand that he was a real person, a real man in history who had real struggles. And by faith in your word, by his obedience to you, reaped eternal reward. So open our eyes to these truths and calm our minds and our hearts so we can focus on your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Two weeks ago, we kicked off our, our Christmas series, and we considered the prophets that had prophesied about Jesus coming. Last week, we talked about Zacharias and Elizabeth, mostly about Zacharias, but particularly noted that Zacharias had had an encounter with that angel in the temple that changed his life. And I encouraged you to consider, when is the last time you had an encounter with God through his word, through prayer, through worship? Not an emotional, necessarily an emotional encounter, but you knew that God had met with you. And I mentioned that I was going to ask you this week, this Sunday, if, if God had met with you this last week, and I hope that he did. I hope that you found time, set aside time to meet with God, and that also uh, in, in, your, in our times of worship, you're finding God's presence to be very real. I often pray, and it's true, the Bible gives us a promise that where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. God is there in the, in the midst of them, and uh, we know that he honors his word. We know that he meets with us every time that we meet. Now, today, the children did an excellent job of um, presenting that Christmas story, uh, and they had such fun. I was grateful for the little sheep that we had this year, and uh, they, they just did a great job. You know, it's easy in this story, we focus on Mary, she's the one that's uh, carrying the baby. Of course, baby Jesus, he's always cute. Uh, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men. Often Joseph just seems to be standing in the background, doesn't he? He's sort of out of sight, we're not really sure, you know, what is he doing there? He's not the father. Uh, we know that God is um, Jesus' father. So what is he doing? Well, he's protecting Mary, of course, he's being a support, um, he seems, uh, to use a literary term, he seems sort of like a flat character. We don't really think much or know much about him. Uh, sometimes we might think, is he even needed? What does he do? I mean, the shepherds come, the, the wise men come, the angels announce, and Joseph, he just stands there. So I want to look today at Joseph, who always seems in the background of this story. 
He has several important roles, and today we're just going to focus on one of those roles. And I want you to see from this passage in Matthew, and we could also look at some other passages, but we'll focus here in Matthew. I want you to see that he's not merely a, a flat, colorless character. God provides some details for us that help us understand who Joseph is. He reveals to us, God reveals to us what Joseph was thinking. And of course, he also includes in this account the actions that he took, some key actions that he took, and these help us understand who Joseph is uh, better. One of the things I want you to notice about Joseph, it's in verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. One of the things we're going to focus on here in a minute is that Joseph was a just man. Man. That means he was a righteous man. He was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. Now, whenever I read about someone in the Bible that God notices, God noticed Job, God noticed Joseph last week, God noticed Zacharias and Elizabeth. They also were righteous, they were people of integrity. I wonder what would God say about me? What would God say about you if He had to characterize you in a sentence or two? Now, remember, God knows everything. Of course, you look at me and you, you, you know the, the, the face, the mask, if, if you will, that I want to put on when I'm in front of you. God knows my innermost hearts, my innermost heart. He knows my innermost thoughts. God knows those things. What would God say about me? Well, God looked down at Joseph and he saw that Joseph was a just man. And that helps uh, lead into our, our study this morning because I mentioned last week that often we come to these um, events in the Bible, and we almost treat them like stories, like mythology or fairy tale stories, the type of stories we tell our children. We do tell our children these events, but all of these events in the Bible are, have a place in history. If we could get in a time machine and travel back nearly 2,000 years, we would find there was a real man named Joseph. There was a real woman named Mary. She was a virgin when she conceived, and she gave birth to a son, and that son was Jesus. These are, these are not just made-up stories. They're real events. And one of the things I mentioned about last week's real events is these people had real problems. They had adult problems. They had problems that, they weren't small. They weren't just adding to the story. They weren't driving the narrative as, some, as if it's some piece of fiction. They had real problems. And... If you know the story, if you paid attention to our, our reading, if you've been reading the Christmas story, you know that the, the single biggest problem in our Christmas story is that, Mose, that Mary is an unwed mother. She's not married. She's a spouse. She's betrothed to Joseph. But in um, Jewish culture, that betrothal, that espousal period lasted about a year and there were a couple things going on. One was uh, the, the bride's purity was being proved, and the groom was preparing a, a place to bring his bride to. So during that year-long period, they had a, a binding contract, if you will. They had a, a, a legal understanding in the community that this man and this woman were intended for each other, but they had not consummated the marriage. And so when Joseph heard that Mary was expecting, he must have been very confused. Because he thought he knew Mary. Now, remember, God says that Mary is a, a lady to be honored. She's, she's not a careless woman. How, I'm sure Joseph is confused. What, what was Mary thinking? How did this happen? 
Now, I don't know how much Mary tried to explain to him. I know I don't listen to my wife very well most of the time, especially when things I'm struggling and there's turmoil around me. I'm not very good at listening. So maybe Mary had tried to explain it, and, and Joseph's like, sure, right, you, an angel, right, uh-huh, yeah, you, 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 you believe that, if that helps you. I don't know what, what went on between Mary and Joseph. I just know this is a problem in the community. They live in a small town. Nazareth is not a big town. Everyone knows everyone. And this had been, this espousal, this betrothal, had been a very public event, okay, here in about a year's time. Joseph is going to come, and he's going to take his bride, Mary, and they're going to move into Joseph's house, and they're going to begin living together. They're going to consummate that marriage. Everyone knew this. And so all of a sudden, for Mary to be expecting, that wasn't Joseph's only dilemma. Joseph's second dilemma is that his own reputation is going to suffer. Because if you're in this little town, and suddenly Mary's expecting, boy, how many guesses do you need to guess whose fault that is? Now, Joseph was a just man. I, I'm not impugning his character. I'm just saying in a small town like Nazareth, you can imagine the, 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 the gossip and the scandal and the rumor. By the way, that's why it's so important for us. I, this is just a side note. Gossip is never helpful. If you have something you, that's bothering you and you need to talk to someone, go to the person that, that's part of the problem, part of the solution, and talk to that person. Don't talk to everyone else. But I know, and you know, I know, and you know, that we don't usually talk to the person that has the problem. We talk to everyone else. And I'm sure there's a lot of gossip, and there's a lot of talk, and Joseph is thinking, you know, the best way, the best way to distance myself from all this trouble, the best way to save my reputation is to publicly divorce her. Make it a big deal. Say, hey, I have nothing to do with this. I'm not the father. I don't know what happened. I, this is not my child. That would be the, the easiest way for Joseph to handle this. But the Bible specifically tells us he was not considering doing that. That was not his thinking. Go back again to verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example. He could have made her a public example. He's not willing to do that. He was minded. His plan was to put her away privily or quietly, as privately as possible. You know, that tells us something about Joseph's character too, doesn't it? It tells us that Joseph was a kind man. Yes, he was personally, I'm sure, you can imagine, Joseph is personally injured, he's personally hurt when he hears that Mary is expecting a baby. He's personally in turmoil, and, and mentally, he's, he's probably uh, struggling to, to comprehend what's going on. And yet, rather than take his anger and his frustration out on someone else, he's going to give that to the Lord, and he's going to handle this as quietly as possible. It tells us something about Joseph, that he was a kind man. I mentioned earlier, Joseph was a man of integrity. He was a just man. He did what was right. To be a man of integrity is to be a man that others can count on to do right. That is, to be a man of integrity is to be righteously predictable. People can predict what you're going to do because they know you're going to do what's right. You're going to tell the truth even if it puts you in a bad light. You're going to file your taxes correctly even if your chance of being audited is very low. You're going to restore someone else's possession even when you could keep it. 
but you know who it belongs to, you're going to give it back to him. You're going to be the employee who works hard, who works diligently, even when the boss isn't around and everyone else is goofing off. We have a saying, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And what we mean by that is, hey, the boss isn't around, nobody's looking. We have one, one boss here who shared with me, uh, one manager who shared with me, that his employees are sure that one of the other employees is, is ratting on them, is telling them, all the details about how they are not working when he's not around. And they're not. Nobody is doing that. He just knows how much work they should be able to get done. They're not getting it done. So he comes, shows up. Hey, you're not getting your work. Who told you? Well, look, it's not done. Are you the employee that works hard even when no one else is? You know what happens if you're that employee. Everyone else backs off and just goofs around and they expect you to get the work done, don't they? And so you say, forget it. I'm not going to let those lazy bozos right on the my coattails. I just won't work as hard. That's not a, a just man. That's not a man or a woman of integrity. And Joseph was a man of integrity. Joseph was a kind man. And I want you to notice that Joseph was a man of faith. Now, you know what faith is? Faith is not believing that God can or God might. Faith is believing that God will through me to the point of me stepping out and doing something. And I want you to see that in Joseph's life. Because here he is, he's faced with a decision. And again, we read the passage. He's faced with this decision. He's got an unwed mother now for a betrothed wife. And his choices are to marry her and just drag his own reputation through the mud. Because of course, and everyone's, of course Joseph married her. He's the problem, Right? Or he can divorce her and put some distance between them. In fact, he can make it a real public, ugly, nasty separation. He's not going to do that. He's thinking, though, maybe I'll just privately, quietly, I'll just end this betrothal, end this espousal. And an angel comes to him and he says, no, no, it's okay. That which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't know about you, but if I heard that statement from even an angel in my dream... I take some convincing. That wouldn't be an easy truth to hear. But Joseph steps out by faith and he marries Mary. He takes her as his wife. And as far as we can tell from Scripture, he never brings it up again. Now, I know you husbands, I know myself. When we've done a favor for our wives, boy, don't we want to let them know. You remember five years ago? When you wanted to go to your parents' house for Christmas, and I wanted to go to my parents' house, and I went to your parents' house, and your wife says, yeah, but for the next four years, we've gone to your parents' house. I know, but five years ago, <laughs> we went to your parents' house. I mean, we're like that, aren't we? Best we can tell from Scripture, Joseph doesn't bring it up again. He's a kind man. He's a just man. He is a man of faith. He's a man who hears what God says. He heard what God said from the angel. And then he acts on it. Are you the type of person that hears what God says in his word and then acts on it? Faith requires an object. And the object of our faith as Christians is God. But faith also requires an agenda. It requires a plan. It requires a, a, a path forward. And that agenda, that plan, that path forward is found in the word of God. So when you read something here in the scripture and you live by faith, you say, well... 
it may not make much sense to me as far as how this is going to work out. I don't know how the, the end of the path, where it's going to lead, but I know this, that if God says it, it's true and I can trust it. That's what faith is. That's the type of faith that Joseph had. The angel came to him, told him this news, and he acts on it. He changes his whole life so that he can act on God's word. But I want you to notice what the angel had to say about Jesus because the most important thing about Christmas is not Mary and Joseph. And really, if you, if you think about it, the most important thing isn't Jesus as a baby. Now, Jesus as a baby is important, but the most important thing is given to us right here in the text. Look with me again at verse 21. And she, Mary, this is Matthew 1.21, she, Mary, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah saves, means God saves. You should call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I want you to see a couple things from these three verses, two things from these three verses. The first is that Jesus is the Savior who saves his people from their sins. And the second is that Jesus is Emmanuel, that is God with us. This passage tells us a lot about Jesus. He, there's references to the Old Testament. There's references to um, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 where God says to a wicked king, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That prophecy was given about 700 years before Jesus was born. Emmanuel, God with us. In fact, you can go all the way back to just days, weeks, months, very close to creation, and we see that God had given Eve and Adam a promise after Adam had sinned. And here was God's promise to those two in Genesis 3 and verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is God speaking to the serpent that had deceived Adam and Eve. But the promise is to Adam and Eve that he's going to put enmity between Satan's seed and her seed. Now, it's an interesting thing, and if, if I'm incorrect about this, you feel free to point it out to me later, but as I studied the Bible, whenever seed is talked about in the Old Testament, it's always the man's seed. So what is the seed of a woman? Well, it's a reference to the virgin birth. All the way back thousands of years before Jesus is born, God had a plan. And his plan was that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, and that son's name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, this is very interesting that you believe that virgins can conceive. Well, I only believe it happened one time. It did, one time. But you know what? I believe more than that, that somebody died and he came back to life. His name is Jesus. That doesn't happen a whole lot either, if you haven't noticed. And I don't only believe that he was born of a virgin and that he came back to life. I believe he's coming again. Now, I don't know when that is. 
I don't know when that is, but God made us a promise that his son would come again. In Revelation chapter 19, it talks about Jesus sitting on a white horse and coming again. And I believe that will happen one day. When that day is, I don't know, but I do know that it's going to happen. And that's what faith is. Faith is believing what God says, even if it doesn't make complete sense to you. Even if you're not sure where that path leads, you know that God put you on that path, so you're going to keep walking in that direction. But I want to focus on these two truths about Jesus that we learned, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and that Jesus is the Savior who saves his people from their sins. But let's start with the Emmanuel one, even though it comes second in the text. There's a Christmas song we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And in that song, these words appear, Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. What, is these, what are these fears that we might have that Jesus is born? What, what is there to be afraid of us in this thought of God with us? Well, let me ask you, do you want God to be with you every moment of every day? Do you want God to see where your internet searches have taken you this week? Do you want God to listen to the same music you've listened to this week? Do you want God to watch the same movies that you've seen? If God came to your house and he said, hey, where's your movie collection? Now, I know, I know some of you young people say movie collection. I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, okay. How about your streaming history? What if God came to your house and said, hey, can I take a look at your streaming history? What have you been watching this week? I wonder how excited we would be that God is with us. Would you want an infinitely wise God to look at how you run your business? Would you like an infinitely good God, an infinitely merciful God to follow your social media posts? I am, sometimes I am shocked at what people post on social media that they would never say to my face. Now, I don't think they should say it to my face either. <laughs> That's not the point. It shouldn't be said at all. But somehow we think that because it's going out into the internet, into the ether, that somehow it's okay to say nasty things about people. Do you want God to follow your social media posts? You see, God with us should terrify us, not because God is unrighteous, but because he is perfectly holy and righteous in everything that he does. And I mentioned earlier, God knows what goes on in your heart. God knows your thoughts. God knows what you do when no one else is around. God knows what you think about other people. And that should, God with us, if that's all we had, God with us should terrify us. But I want to encourage you because God with us should also comfort us. Because God with us means that Jesus knows what it's like to be human. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of Men, the Bible says. And Hebrews tells us that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling, feelings of our infirmities. We have a high priest who was touched. He understands human frailties. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. God with this means... That not only does he know what it's like to be us, to be human, but he also is available to talk to any time of the day. 
Now, just this week, some of you have tried calling me and you got voicemail. I know because I picked up your voicemail later. And you say, what is pastor doing? I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. But I wasn't able to take your call and I'm sorry. But here's the neat thing. You never reach God's voicemail. God has no voicemail box. When you go to God, he's right there with you as near as you want him to be. God says, return unto me and I will turn unto you. God with us. I'm going to come back to this thought and tie it together with the second thought, and that is Jesus is the one who saves his people from their sins. Now, we don't talk about sin much, and when we do, we're sort of dismissive often in American society, but sin is anything we think, anything we say, or anything we do that breaks God's law. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us there is none, there is none righteous, no, not one. And that's why we desperately need a Savior. Desperately need a Savior. Imagine yourself in a, in a sailboat and you're going to sail around the world. How many of you have been on a sailboat? Okay, I've never tried sailing around the world. But sailboats are fun as long as you stay close to shore. But let's imagine you decide you're going to go on a sailboat around the world, and you get out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, you're thousands of miles from anywhere where you could go for help, and your mast breaks off and falls into the water. What would you do? Swim for it? Right? Jump out of the boat? Start dog paddling or whatever form of swimming you do? You are never going to reach shore on your own. Right? You're going to call for rescue. You're going to ask you're going to get on that radio. You're going to ask if there's anyone nearby that can, that can help you. You're going to ask if the Coast Guard will send someone to rescue you. Now, I hear, this is what I hear. I, I never confirmed it for myself. Maybe some of you know this to be true and you can help me. Some of you have had a lot of interactions with the Coast Guard, I understand. But I, I haven't. I understand that if the Coast Guard comes out to rescue you off your boat, they will not tow your boat back to shore. They will rescue you, but you've got to leave your boat behind. Now, let's imagine that's true. Is that true? Okay, I'm told it's not true. But let's imagine it's true, okay? You know what? Most of us would rather go down with the sailboat than have God rescue us. That's the problem. We'd rather hold on to our sin. We'd rather keep doing things our way. We don't want God to tell us what to do. Good grief, we don't want to live according to this book. And as long as that's our attitude... As long as we refuse, I'm just going to set this here, as long as we refuse to do things God's way, then we are responsible to rescue ourselves. But the first step, the first uh, recognition that we need to have as, as human beings, if we're going to have God deliver us and rescue us, the first thing we need to understand is that we are sinners and we can't save ourselves. And that sin is going to take us to a very real Eternity in the lake of fire. We also call it hell, but we use that word so loosely anymore. I, I, I hesitate to use it, but it's real and it's a place of torments, the Bible tells us. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, not spend that eternity in the lake of fire, but have everlasting life. As Christians, that's why we are so excited about this Christmas season. It's not the gifts we're going to get or the gifts we're going to give or even the chance to spend time with our loved ones, which is a treasure to us. It's because it's a reminder that God gave his son, Jesus Christ, 
in our place. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. I'm going to read you an extended passage from 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to these words. 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him, that is God the Father, that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness. Let me read that phrase again to you. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That's incredible to think about. That God loved me so much, that God loved you so much, that God the Father took all of my sin in all of its gross, disgusting selfishness and put it on Jesus Christ. And the greatest burden to Jesus on the cross, the greatest weight was not the nails through his hands and his feet. It wasn't the mockery from the crowd. The greatest suffering of Jesus on the cross was bearing the weight of the sins of the world. But he did that because he loved us. Jesus is our savior from sin. It says he shall uh, be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. God desires to rescue you this morning. He desires to rescue you from your sins. He desires to rescue you from your sinking sailboat, but you've got to leave the sailboat behind. You've got to quit thinking that you can do it. Just tow me to shore, God, and I'll, I'll fix the mask and we'll try this again. You've got to quit trying and surrender. And when God takes your sins, it says he puts them in the deepest sea. He separates your sins from you as far as the east is from east from the west. East is from the west. He remembers our iniquities no more, the Bible says. You know, Christmas really is an intriguing holiday because you sort of grow and mature into Christmas. When you were a child, you remember that Christmas was all about what toys, what gifts you were going to get that year. In fact, just in this last week, I talked with a young person, an elementary school student, talking about all the gifts that he was expecting to get. He even has an older sister that's going to give him gifts. And I thought, now that is something to have your older sister give you gifts. <laughs> that's what it's about for children. Let's how many gifts we can give. And then you grow and, and you mature some, and now that older sister is at the point where for her, what's Christmas? What gifts you can give to other people? What can I give to someone this year? And you're thinking about what would they like? What would they be surprised at? Some of you like to give the unexpected gifts. Some of you like to give the gifts that people, oh, this is just what I wanted. Maybe some of your families, you have a whole list of things and then you get to pick from those. I don't know how you do it, but giving the gifts becomes sort of the impetus for Christmas. And then I talked to someone else this week and for this lady, as she matures, the point of Christmas for her is spending time with loved ones. She said, I don't know how many more Christmases I'm going to have with my mom and with my dad. I want us to take it, and, and by the way, you understand, those are precious times with family. I'm not minimizing those, but I want you to take a step beyond that. I don't want Christmas merely to be about the gifts you're going to get. I don't want Christmas to be merely about the gifts you're going to give. 
I don't want Christmas only to be about the time spent with family. I want Christmas to be a reminder for you that we need a Savior. Christmas is that flashing red light that says we need a Savior. Now, most of the times you don't see flashing red lights because there's a stop sign. But every once in a while you come to an intersection where in addition to the stop sign, there's a flashing red light. And why is that flashing red light there? Because there's been too many people that run through that stop sign and get in an accident. And I'm telling you, Christmas ought to be a reminder to you every year that we need a deliverer. We need someone to rescue us from sin. When we come to Christmas time, I want you to think. Contemplate how desperately wicked your sin is, and it is wicked, and how merciful God is to forgive you for free. He doesn't say, okay, you've done some bad things, now you need to do penance. You need to go listen to that pastor preach every Sunday for a year. That would be torment. God doesn't do that. He says, you come to me and confess your sins, and I am just and merciful to forgive your sins because Jesus Christ already paid the cost. And secondly, I want you to remember that Christmas is God with us. God with us doesn't need to be terrifying. Yes, I I would be embarrassed if God told you some of the thoughts that went through my head this past week. But you know what? God knows those thoughts and he loves me still and he's forgiven me. Isn't God good? God knows some of the things that I've said or was about to say this week. God knows. And God still loves me. And God still's forgiven me. God with us should not terrify us, not because we're good people. I'm still a bad person. God with us comforts us because God is such a merciful and loving and gracious God. So let me encourage you this Christmas season, if, if you are already a Christian, why don't you take some time? To think about how good God has been to you. To think about how merciful God was to send his son in your place. To recognize again the depth, the the depth of his mercy to forgive me over and over and over. And to take all of that sin and put it on his son, Jesus Christ. And the last application I'll make from the story of Joseph is about faith. I mentioned earlier, faith has an object. Our our faith is in God. The agenda for our faith, the plan for our faith, comes from the Word of God. And invariably in my reading, the Word of God, God brings something to my attention I'm either not doing and should do, or God brings to my attention something I am doing and I shouldn't do. And I have to make a decision whether I'm going to follow God's path, whether I'm by faith I'm going to obey, or whether I'm going to argue with God. How about you? Is there something in your life, you know what the scripture says, you know what God has said to you through his word, but you've been slow to obey. Aren't you glad Joseph wasn't slow to obey? I tell you what, Mary, why don't you have this kid? We'll give it a couple of years. We'll see how all this works out. He didn't do that, did he? It says he rose from that dream and he took Mary to be his espoused wife and You know from Luke, he actually takes her all the way to Bethlehem, taking care of her the whole way. I'm glad Joseph was an obedient man 
And I want to encourage you, by faith, to obey God as well. Father, thank you for the opportunity we had to see our children and our grandchildren as part of this Christmas presentation. What a, what a joy it is to have these, uh, these little ladies, these little men, um, act out pantomime the Christmas story again for us. But we don't want to merely enjoy seeing our children. We want to be reminded that Christmas is that flashing red light that we need a Savior. That Jesus is called Jesus, God saves, because he's the one who saves his people from their sins. And I pray this morning, for this afternoon now, for anyone that's here that is not a Christian, that does not know that their sins are forgiven, that doesn't know for sure if they have eternal life, my prayer for them is that your Holy Spirit would convict them and show them how desperately they need a Savior. How deep their own wickedness is, how far from shore they are in their broken sailboat that's taking on water, and that they would see the lifeline, the rescue that you offer, the salvation from sin that you offer. May they see that today. For us that are Christians, I I pray that we would not be careless about this Christmas season, merely interested in the gifts, either giving or receiving them, or even just spending time with family, as precious as those moments are. But we'd once again come to you in gratitude, just amazed at how merciful you are, how good you've been to us, that God with us does not terrify us, not because we're good people except by your grace, but because you are a good God who's so merciful. Thank you, Father. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.